Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. My name is Louisa Peck, and I had a near-death experience in 1982 when I was 22 years old. At that time, I was a very avid atheist. I had just finished Vassar College, where I wrote my senior thesis on the death of God as it appeared in modernism. I was living in New York City, and I was an alcoholic, and I loved to party. So I was at a nightclub and ran out of cocaine and bought what I thought was some more from a guy at the club. My date and I were snorting it, but it wasn't getting us high. So I just snorted the whole pile in hopes that it would get me high. Later, after I got sober and my friends in my 12-step program who used to be drug dealers heard about my story, they said that was lidocaine. They said we used to cut cocaine with lidocaine in the 80s, but you were sold pure lidocaine. So I began to notice that I was getting tunnel vision. The outsides of my eyes were showing a kind of an orange speckle. Gradually, as my heart was slowing down to maybe 30 beats, 20 beats a minute, because of the lidocaine, I began to feel there was no air in the nightclub. So I was panicking a little bit, and I told my date, there's no air, there's no air. He said, let's get you a glass of water. He took me to the bar. Bartender gave me a glass of water. I took a sip, and then I thought for a second that I had smashed my chin on the bar, collapsing. I was actually going into a ground mal seizure and cardiac arrest. But to me, it seemed that that punch under the chin shot me up in the air like a Popeye punch. And I was flying up in the air and I had a brief sense of leaving all that nonsense behind. And that's the last I remembered of my life as Louisa. So I zoomed upward. I did a back bend and arched over and did a dive until I came into the ocean. I went very deep and then wanted to be at the surface and I was at the surface. I looked and saw the shore quite a ways away. I wanted to be there and then I was there. I looked down the beach and I saw a mesa or a sea stack with an old weathered house on top of it. And I knew it had to do with me. I wanted to be there and then I was at the foot of the 
mesa, but now it was a whole bunch of rocks and they were covered with this horrible, repulsive, putrid slime. I thought at the time it might be rotten seaweed, but I knew I had to climb it to reach the house. So I did, I climbed it and when I got to the house, I was only one inch tall. I didn't have a body anymore at all. I had become just a subjective camera about an inch off the ground. So this camera of meanness moved over the door sill and at that moment realized that all my ancestors had crossed that same threshold and that this was our house of transition. And I knew they had all gone ahead of me to something more. I didn't know what, but they were present and I could feel them. I could feel their joy at anticipating seeing me, especially my grandfather who had never met me in life was eager to meet me here. So I moved over the wood. I could see it really, really clearly because I was so close up and I saw, I knew that feet after feet after feet after generation after generation after generation had passed through this very spot and worn the wood to a kind of a velvety texture. Um, there was supposed to be a chair in the middle of the room where my ancestors all loved to sit and look out at the ocean. And I thought, I want to do that. It's my turn and I'm too short and there was no chair. And so something in response to that seemed to catch me by my heart, though I didn't have a body and pull me forward across the floor. I had a big sense of, whoa, what's happening? But a good one. And then I went up over the sill and then I was flying over the ocean and I was flying toward the sun, which was setting. So it was casting a kind of dappled path of light over the ocean. There were golden colors all around me. It's just the most beautiful sunset you can imagine. And I was zooming into it over the water. I felt such bliss and such joy. I could feel the, the speed of my zooming. And then I had a thought, wait a minute, people can't fly. Is this a dream? Is this real? And a voice answered me that I didn't expect. It was a very deep, powerful kind of voice. Not that I heard it, but I felt it in my mind. And it said more real than anything back there, meaning in my life. And I knew that it was right. And so I got closer and closer to the sun. I became a little concerned that I was going to hit it and burn up. But instead, I passed through a filament into the interior of the sun. And in the center of the sun was light. It was the light. It was all pervasive, just completely passed through me, in me, this feeling of bliss and love. So much love and warmth and goodness and happiness and I felt complete. I became aware of a parent figure who was holding me, sort of sitting like a Buddha, but holding me like a little infant in his or her arms and just pouring love into me or so loved. And I just wanted to stay there forever. It was perfect. But then the parent said, you can't stay. You're not done yet. And I threw a fit. The light went complete blackness and I said, no, and I had a sense of just kicking and screaming 
and wanting to show the parent that I wanted to stay, the parent just said, case closed, and I was falling through blackness. It was the first time I felt afraid. And then I began to see in the darkness these chalk figures, stick figures drawn in chalk, and they were like little children's animations. They were doing cartwheels, they were going on swings, and they were saying these little nonsense nursery rhymes like, how many fiddles make a flim-flam, or how many hippos make a hopscotch? And I thought, well, it's nowhere near as good as the light, but this is something that the parent has given me to watch until I can go back to the light because I knew I was going to go back to the light. I was determined I was going to get back there. And I was watching them just kind of hanging out. And then one of them sort of moved in closer and began to fill in like a dinner plate instead of a chalk circle and his nursery rhyme that he kept saying was how many fingers what is your name and I was just kind of like trying to see around him and then I realized that he thought he was talking to me and I realized that he thought he was separate from me and then I realized I was back in the meat puppet I was back in my body and I was absolutely devastated I felt I couldn't go back to such a primitive way of existing where we move these kind of squishy things down there in our mouths and burp out sounds and that's a kind of code for communicating. It just seemed so primitive. But eventually I did answer him and it turned out I was lying on the floor of the nightclub in a pool of sweat, maybe a gallon of sweat that had come out when I came to. And I ended up not going to the hospital because my date had gotten in some trouble for dealing drugs at college and he did not want any more trouble. So we jumped in a cab and went back to my home, my apartment. The next day I thought about what had happened and it seemed to me I had a choice. I could either say what had happened to me was real and then I would have to become good and I would have to become religious. I would have to stop all my drinking, all my partying, all my sleeping around, all the things that I thought made me a badass. And I was not going to do that. So I decided I'd come up with my own theory, which was that as my brain had shut down to more and more primitive levels, it finally had reached a level where there was only love. And that's what I had hallucinated as being inside the sun. So here I was, 22, had this near-death experience, rejected it rejected it and continued to be an atheist. And that was all I wanted was to go on with that life. But I was not permitted to because the spirit world could reach me now and show me things and speak to me. And I began to have paranormal experiences. I saw a ghost on the beach in Gloucester, clearly as you see any other human being, except that after I passed him and turned back, there were no tracks. Also, he was dressed like the Gordon's fisherman in real Macintosh, which I had hoped to talk to him about, but he didn't talk to me and then he was gone. I had foreknowledge of a death before it happened. And 
when I drove home extremely drunk and was congratulating myself on my success, the same voice that had said more real than anything back there shot through me. I was so drunk. I had reached home so drunk that I needed my car door to hold me up. And I was thinking what a badass I am for driving drunk so well. He shot this message through me from the sky that said, this is the last time I can help you. And he also said, you do know right from wrong and you can do better. And these thoughts were so not mine, but they were so powerful. I remembered them so clearly. Later, I made a huge mess in the kitchen being a drunkard, and I was blacked out and remembered none of it. But that drive, when he got me across a narrow bridge, railroad crossing, and when he spoke to me after, I remember clear as crystal. Because memories from spiritual events, when a spirit is with you, memories when you are connected to spirit, are different than memories that you just have in the little soggy organ of your brain. They are more real. They are about your spirit. So they don't fade with time. My near-death experience has not faded with time. My angel, as I now call the voice, has saved my life many times. One time I was at a light that turned green and he said, don't go. It was night. There was no one behind me. So I waited at the green light until I was like, what am I doing? And then a car came down the intersection going about 100 miles an hour and zoomed past where I would have been if I had gone. Another time I came out of a Al-Anon meeting on the top of a very high hill in Seattle, Queen Anne Hill. It's 500 feet and the roads down are very steep. When I turned out of the driveway, I put my foot on the brake and it just felt a tiny bit soft. As I was driving toward the steep hill I was going to go down, my angel said, you have no brakes, you have to pull over. And I said, that's ridiculous. It's raining. I have a hair appointment. I'm not pulling over. And he said, pull over now. And I said, no. And then the sign that I was looking for was an arterial turn sign. And I saw it too soon, a block too soon. But there it was, it said arterial turn. So I said, what do I do? I, so I turned. And then I thought, well, gosh, darn it. This is the side street, not what I wanted. And I put my foot on the brakes and there was nothing. There were no brakes. When I brought my car in later, they said that when I made that turn, I had cracked one of the rubber tubes and all of the brake fluid had drained out in minutes. So he saved my life then. <laughs> so many times he has been in touch with me or I have known things that I shouldn't know or he has miraculously healed me by conveying to me what was wrong with my knee. I was on a trail. I had hiked 60 miles in the wilderness uh, of the Cascade Mountains on the Pacific Crest Trail when I had unbelievable pain in my knee. I tried praying the normal way, like, can you please fix my knee? It didn't work. I ended up seeing a tree and thinking about how trees are connected to God more than we are. So I hugged this tree and put my forehead on it and asked it to ask God for me to fix my leg. The tree answered, each life must ask directly. 
And I knew that she was right. So I turned around and this time I said with more humility, I said, I know I'm here out of vanity alone on this trail because I'm still such a badass, even sober. I know that it's vainglory. And, but you also know that I love this very much. And would you give me some guidance? And so all this information downloaded, tons of information about that I had strained my inner thigh. There was nothing wrong with my knee. I needed to stretch that out. And I needed to press with my trekking pole under my kneecap. And I was doing the things he was saying. And then he came and he said, take that little Velcro loop out of your pack, put it under your knee, and I will heal you. I will use it as a beacon and you will finish. You will go 60 more miles and come out at the other highway. All I had wanted was get to a dirt road or somewhere where I could get to a doctor to fix my knee. But he said, you don't need that. I'm going to get you all the way to the end. And my knee never hurt me again. I call him Ignacio. I asked him one day, give me a name. I need something to call you besides Angel. I had wanted him to be a girl, but he's very much not. I said, give me a name so I can call you something besides Angel. He said, kind of sigh, and he said, I've had so many names in so many languages, and you don't know any of those alphabets. And I said, so what? Just give me something. Eventually, he gave me the name Ignacio, which is an Etruscan name from one of his most recent lifetimes, which would be before the Greeks. <laughs> well, that's all I got now. Thanks.